Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. But later in our program, we've got Christina Sikiatis with our Mini Dawn Innovation, looking at a couple of the local innovators there. We're also talking with Tony Vidray, if his voice holds out, from AV Chartered Accountants. We're going to have a look at the contractors versus the employees. Right now, we're going to have a chat with Dean Frith, who's a partner with Baker Love Lawyers. We're going to talk about retail leases. Good afternoon, Dean. Good afternoon, Julian. Thank, thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for joining us at the last minute with uh, someone else's voice giving up on them too. Yeah, it seems to be going around at the moment. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. What it, What is a retail lease? Well, Julian, a retail lease is just one particular type of lease. Um, and I guess it's probably retail leases are the most common form of lease that are encountered by small businesses. Uh, the major difference of retail leases from other leases such as standard commercial leases is that retail leases is governed by a piece of legislation uh, known as the Retail Leases Act, funnily enough. And so whether that act applies largely depends on what use the tenant uh, uses the premises for. And uh, it'll always generally apply to shops in a, in a multi, multi-tenanted retail shopping centre such as a, a Westfield and the like. Can you give us some examples of the type of businesses that would be subject to the retail lease? Well, th- there's a list of the types of businesses contained in a schedule to the Act, um, but they, they are predominantly businesses of a retail variety. Um, but but it's really it's far far broader than that. Um, some, some examples of things like restaurants, bookstores, hairdressers, uh, florists, dry cleaners, news agencies. It, it is very broad, uh, and, and it really covers most shops that are selling retail goods and services to the public. Uh, but it, it generally won't cover things uh, for commercial use, such as office space and the like. Well, so why are retail leases treated differently to other leases? Retail leases are differentiated from other types of leases, essentially because tenants entering into them are quite often small businesses and at times are at a far weaker bargaining position to much larger landlords, such as your Westfields and your GPTs. So I guess what the Retail Leases Act is trying to do is just make it a more level playing field between tenant and landlord. So, so have you got a bit of advice for listeners who might be thinking of entering into a retail lease? Well, Julian, uh, I guess the, the first bit of advice that I would give, and it would be uh, typical of a lawyer to say this, but uh, is to, to get legal advice on, on the terms of the lease before you sign it. Um, you need to make sure that you, you completely understand and agree with the clauses that are in the lease. And it's not enough just to assume that the document says what you think it does or you know, accept what the, the landlord says it does. So it's important for, for, for landlords to keep that in mind as well as tenants. Um, another thing that I'll probably point out is that for landlords to keep in mind, uh, in, in New South Wales, a landlord can be deemed to have entered into a retail lease before they've actually signed the document. Mm-hmm. So th- this can occur in circumstances where a landlord has permitted a, a tenant to take possession of the premises uh, for fit out or, or whatever reason. So it really is uh, imperative to get advice from the very beginning of negotiations. So if you're a prospective retail lease tenant, is it possible to negotiate the terms of the uh, lease? Yes, it is. Um, it is possible to do that. Uh, th- there is a standard form retail lease document, but the parties can negotiate their own terms w- within the parameters of the Retail Leases Act. 
and more often than not, landlords will have a preferred lease document drafted by their solicitor with their own particular terms that they will provide to a prospective tenant. But that doesn't mean that they won't agree to amend or alter some of the terms if asked by the, the tenant or the tenant solicitor. So a, a tenant really should feel comfortable requesting any amendments and, uh, of course, the solicitor will be able to help them with that process. So, so you've talked about clauses. Can you tell us the most important common clause ent- encountered by tenants in such a lease? Well, I, I guess there is a number of important clauses in retail leases. Um, but if I had to maybe identify just a couple, uh, one would be... Uh, in relation to option periods. So it's very common to see in retail leases an option period being granted. And what that is, you'll have your initial term for whatever that is, maybe three years, and then there'll be additional three-year option period. And it's normally at the tenant's discretion whether to exercise that option and to then enter into the lease for the further three-year option period. But Often the lease will include a stringent time frame for when that option period may be exercised by the tenant. So tenants really should pay particular attention to those time frames uh, because if they miss the window for exercising the option, then unfortunately they can lose the benefit of that uh, option period. I guess the, the, the second thing may, may be in relation to legal costs. So with retail leases, it's actually a part of the Retail Leases Act that a landlord cannot require a tenant to pay the landlord's legal costs of mm. preparing the lease. So if you're negotiating a retail lease and the lease contains a clause that the, the tenant's to pay the landlord's legal costs of preparing the lease, in accordance with the Act, you, you can resist that uh, request and, and such clause would be void. So you're well within your rights to, to refuse to pay the costs. So do you have any other tips for tenants once the lease has commenced? Once the the lease is commenced, um, I guess the, the first thing is just not to put the lease in a drawer and forget about it because uh, a lease document uh, operates for the term of the lease and, and you need to be aware of your obligations throughout. So I guess the, the important things are ensuring that you, you pay all of your financial obligations under the lease, such as rent and outgoings, and, and you do that on time. Uh, ensure that you you keep all of your insurance that are required of you under the lease. Keep keep them current, and and when they're ready to renew, you, you go ahead and do that in a timely manner. And another thing would be, yeah, there are certain things uh, that you are required to obtain the landlord's consent to uh, under a lease. So you should be mindful of that. Examples are if you're um, doing any works with the property or mortgaging the lease or if you're intending to sell your business and therefore assign the lease, you you need to be mindful of of, um, getting consent of the landlord in those circumstances. Great. Well, well, thanks very much for your time uh, today, uh, Dean, especially jumping in at the last minute there. Maybe we'll have a chat with you again another time. Yeah, no problem at all, Julian. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dean Frith there from Baker Love Lawyers. Just helping us some of the guidelines there that are important to the retail lease and understanding that they are different from commercial leases. And it's 22 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Thanks to our sponsors, AV Chartered Accountants. Time to pop over to AV Chartered Accountants. Have a word with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hello, Julian. How are you? We have to turn the volume up a little bit for you today, do we? Yeah. Please do. Yes, my voice is not getting any better. Ah. <clears throat> well, maybe we can just have a little quick chat about contractors versus employees. 
Yeah, this is a segue from last week where we spoke about the um, the tax office focus for the 13-14 financial year. One of the areas they're really going to have a look at are the, um, the relationship between employers or the people who pay and whether they classify them correctly as employees or contractors. This came out of the 1990s where a lot of building companies and, uh, and even IT companies decided that they didn't want a large workforce. And so they said, essentially it was a Friday-Monday scenario where they said, right, you're no longer an employee, Julian, we want you to go out and get your own company and from Monday um, you're going to be a contractor and the accounting industry has long said to the tax office that a lot of these um, arrangements are quite onerous, they're unfair, uh, there's a fair amount of bullying and harassment that goes on in that, so they've been very proactive in making sure that the, the payers can't bring that sort of exertion and say, we want to treat you as a, uh, as, a, as a contractor for the sake of it. So it is a statement of fact as to whether you are an employee or a contractor. And it, but it's still going on though, isn't it? I mean, I looked at uh, figures the other day, at least 14% of people in the building industry still coming under that category of really being contract uh, employees when they're classed as in, uh, contractors and I know recently my son was approached by his boss and said I'm going to make you contractors from the 1st of July. Yeah, that's, it, look, it goes on all the time and interestingly in that example you just gave with your son, when he goes onto the ATR website to try and get an ABN, the, the ABN filter is actually so tight now that the moment you start trying to say that you're a contractor, it opens up a whole series of questions and you get to the end of it and in fact it won't give you an ABN because it says, sorry, you're not a contractor, you're an employee. So that's part of how they've made it more difficult. Um, if anything, you have to actually trick the, um, the ATO computer into giving you an ABN um, to continue with the arrangement. So we've actually had a few phone calls um, exactly like you're saying to say, um, I'm a contractor but I can't seem to get an ABN out of, the, out of the tax office. It's because the arrangement is not a genuine contractor arrangement. So, so I presume when you come to uh, prosecutions, uh, obviously the the employer is going to get prosecuted, but but also now the employee, if they miss uh, answer the questions incorrectly, they could be um, prosecuted too. Well, look, possibly. I think at the end of the day, we've advised both employers and employees in this in this situation. From an employee situation, first, if if you are a contractor, however, you do the right thing and flow all the money out of whatever um, structure you have. Let's say it's a company structure, you flow it out completely so that the tax office can see that there's absolutely no tax avoidance at all and you get your income as a, as a salary and wage. I, I'll you know, almost bet my house that you will not have a problem on that mm. uh, in that scenario at all. The big ticket item is the employer. They will come along and prosecute those and issue them with... Um, penalties for failure to deduct um, withholding tax. In fact, there's been a few cases. Um, in fact, there was a high-profile case recently um, on the front page of the Herald about a particular um, courier who was treating his employees as uh, as contractors, all sorts of stuff. They will prosecute, prosecute the um, the payer. And where a lot of this comes out, Julian, is in the in the event of an accident, if there is a death. Um, and lawyers are getting very clever in saying to the payer, well, had this person been treated as an employee, you would have paid superannuation for this person, and under super, they would have had some sort of life cover, so now we want you to pay the widow the life cover that the person would have had, mm. and sometimes it could be $35,000, 
you know, sometimes it could be quite significant, that's where they're actually hitting up the payers. So mm. it's a massive risk from the point of view of the payer just to say, no, we want to we want to downsize or we want to just treat you as a uh, as a contractor. You've got to you've got to get the right advice on it. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for your time. You go and rest your voice, and uh, we'll have a chat with you again next week. I'm the I'm the contractor whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Tony Vidray there, a very important area and quite critical and uh, I know it's happening out there so just be aware, are you a contractor or an employee? And it's 1.30, time to pop over to Christina Sikiatis from Ideation at Work for our Minute on Innovation. Good afternoon Christina. Hi Julian, how are you? I'm well thank you, we're going to continue I believe with a couple more of our local innovators yeah, we are. Look, Hunter Founders Forum, who, who are a great organisation that support um, many innovative innovative products and help them get on their way, they've actually supported a, a product called OmniTank by Evolution Tankers. And it's a new product that I reckon is going to change the transportation industry. What they've, what they've funded um, is the development of the OmniTank and it transports lightweight bulk liquid. So it's made out of carbon fibre composite materials with what they say is a seamless interior of poly, polyethylene thermoplastic. But what that means to you and I is that it's light and it's very mm. chemical resistant. So how that transfers in, into a product that's going to be extremely useful, when it transports, say, something like petrol, the chemicals don't seep into the lining of the tank. So it's also very easy to wash out. And what that, that does for the transport industry is it means that the tanker is now able to carry a load to a destination, pick up, get washed out, pick up a load from that destination and bring it back to the original. So the, the tankers aren't used only for one product. Um, and the example that we were given was that it could, it could carry something like diesel fuel in one direction and then get washed out and be so clean that it could transport milk back um, right. Say from from you know from the farms back to back to the cities. Right. Now the savings on the on the actual transportation itself, but also the environment, Julian. Uh, uh, you know, mm. fantastic when you think about it. Mm. Um, and the other product that that um, I'd like to talk about today is a product called Intelligent Plastics. And this company has invented plastic tags that change the colour as food ripens, so that as a customer shopping in the supermarket. I know when that food is best to eat and best to cook because the colour of these intelligent plastic materials change. Mm. Um, they've partnered with the CSIRO Food Research and want the, to to put the product into the supermarkets and to trial it to test trial it with um, with real life customers like me who sometimes can't tell when something's ready to cook or not. So if it's in your fridge and it's gone red or whatever, you know it's time to either eat it or throw it out. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So it, apparently there's different different colours for cooking, eating, you know, um, and then obviously get rid of it. It's no yeah. good anymore. Yeah, because yeah. we often go to the fridge and find there's a lot of products that we've forgotten about that have gone past their use by date. Yes, and I don't want to tell you what they look like sometimes <laughs> at the bottom of my fridge, Julian. Yeah, we need some flashing lights on them next then. <laughs> I think, and you know, um, I mean, just the, the fact that these are sponsored and supported by Newcastle, Newcastle's Hunter Founders Forum is a wonderful thing. I just think, you know, the yeah. innovation that's around and the change is, is fantastic. Hey, great. Well, thanks for your time again. We'll have a chat with you next week. Okay, Julian, look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Christina Sikiatis there with our Minute on Innovation. Actually, it was a couple of minutes today, but uh, it's always good to look at those local people and see what they're doing, isn't it? And as you drive home today, as we sit in the driver's seat for your trip home after 4pm each weekday with Kev Kellaway for our sponsors, The Good Guys, Katara, East Maitland and Warners Bay, tune in for the latest road reports, finance updates, a cackle with cactus, another chance to enter the restaurant of the month and, of course, more of your easy listening favourites from 4pm on Tuesday when you are FM on air and online. And thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the differences between uh, uh, res- uh, retail leases and commercial leases. We've uh, also had a chat with uh, Tony Vidray about contractors versus employees. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to have a chat with Kerry Hallett from the Hunter Region BEC about a digital enterprise program. So if you're thinking of going online in your business, worth having a look at this digital enterprise program and we'll have a chat about it next week. We'll enter the world of tax again with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants, a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis and some other little tips to motivate you and improve your business. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week and as Peter Drucker once said, the best way to predict the future is to create it.